Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. for many churches that he has served, the sermons he's preached, the people that he's been a witness to. God, we just pray that you would bless him, particularly in this time of transition. May he look back with joy at his service to our district and with anticipation to whatever the next steps are for him in his life. Bless his family, and thank you for him ministering to us today. Just watch over him, protect him, and we just pray a blessing upon the message that he'll be sharing with us. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate that prayer. You know, every time I come here, I'm reminded of my roots because Loretta uh, reminds me that I come from Ulysses, Kansas. How many know about Ulysses, Kansas? Anybody want to move there? You know, when I was a teenager, I couldn't wait until I could leave there. And uh, I don't know if that's probably true of many other young people, but I, I do know that I learned so much in Ulysses, and there were so many good people there in the Ulysses area. Um, I did not become a Mennonite brother in my birth. Uh, I actually became a Christian between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And uh, there was a teacher that was instrumental in helping me through a very difficult time I was having in my family. Uh, My dad had Parkinson's disease and uh, at the age of 38. And uh, we ended up losing uh, our body shop that he had, and, and uh, my mom had a ceramic shop. And uh, shortly after high school, maybe two or three years after high school, they ended up actually moving back to uh, the eastern side of Kansas, uh, where they, they continued to live. My mom now lives in Hutchinson. But, but anyway, in that, my sophomore year, it was kind of difficult Uh, My dad uh, was still trying to work. We were trying to get a lot of things done. And I was a teenager, and I'm sure that I was the model teenager, but my mom would tell you differently. Um, But uh, I remember there was a gentleman there who was a teacher, and his name was Max Hebert. And uh, you know Max well. And I still remember the place in the high school, and I can still feel the weight of his arm around my shoulders, when he came up and he says, Rick, I see you. I know what you're going through. And right there in the hallway in a public school, he prayed for me. He said, I would like to pray for you. And I remember that because that was one of those milestone moments when you recognize that God is at work in your life and that somebody has paid attention to you and that your life matters. And as a teenager, that was very important to me. And I know that God has been working in and through my life all of these years. I, uh, when I think about Ulysses, I think about the church there that uh, when we came back, Esther and I came back to Ulysses, she grew up in the, in the foothills of the Himalayans, all right? So think about how beautiful that is. And then my wife said that she would go with me anywhere. And so after college... Uh, I had a one-year stint in a church that did not express the love of Jesus very well. And I was in a place where I didn't know what I was supposed to do. 
Because basically I had said, if this is ministry, I want nothing to do with it. And I didn't know what to do with my calling, and I just didn't know what to do. And my dad needed me to kind of come back and help close down the business. And my wife, she has to come with me, right? That's the deal. That's the contract. And so I drug her back to Ulysses, Kansas. And it was probably around the first snow when I heard my wife cry. We had our very first snow, and there was a dust storm right before it, and the snow and the dirt mixed together, and the side of our white house just turned muddy. And we called it snurt. I don't know what you guys call it, but it was the ugliest snow she had ever seen. And she was in a strange town where everybody knew me. They didn't know her. She was a young mother, and uh, she was lost, basically, except we found a good church. And that good church was the Mennonite Brethren Church there in Ulysses. And we found it because of Garvey Schmidt. Garvey Schmidt was a year ahead of me in high school, as was Don Morris and Tim Sullivan. So how about that? Yeah. Uh, Tim, or excuse me, Garvey used to drive a lime green Plymouth Barracuda. Does anybody remember those? Yeah? And uh, as a high school student, I dreamed of having a car like that, but I had a Vega, which, you know, it's what I had. But, you know, my dad ran a body shop and he couldn't squeeze out a GTO for me. But anyway, I remember seeing that when we would go on errands on a Sunday morning, I remember driving by the Mennonite Brethren Church and seeing a lime green Plymouth Barracuda there. And I remember Garvey's testimony. I remembered the character that he had and still does. And I thought, if that church is good enough for Garvey, I think I should, we should go give it a try. And that's how we got plugged in to the Mennonite Brethren Church. Uh, the pastor at that time happened to be a gentleman. I don't know. You might know him, too. His name was Jules Glanzer, was the pastor. And there was a speaker who came through who was talking about missions, and I felt again that I should be calling and following my calling. And we were following up with that, and I thought I might go overseas, and uh, that didn't pan out. Uh, but Jules kind of took me aside, and he said, if you were considering going to mission, you know, to become a missionary, would you consider going to seminary and becoming fo- better trained for whatever God might have you to do? And I said, well, I would, but, you know, that's kind of pricey. And that church in Ulysses paid my tuition to go to seminary. And not only mine, but I think there was a total of maybe eight or nine that they paid to go to seminary. That church in Ulysses. My first assignment after seminary was in Enid, Oklahoma. And there's, there's a point to all of these stories, by the way. Okay. Uh, my first assignment was in Enid, Oklahoma, where I was an associate pastor of youth. And there I got the privilege of playing with kids, and not kids, young people, uh, eating pizza, and I could turn in the receipt. Yeah? It was a good job. And there was a young man in my youth group, uh, who is now the president of Tabor College, David Jansen. Yeah. After Enid, uh, we went to Topeka, Kansas, where I pastored for 12, 15 years. Well, we were in Topeka for 15 years, but we pastored there for 12. And there was uh, three sets of twins, identical twins, the Peterson twins, the Wogamuth twins, and the Jost twins. And 
tomorrow morning when I check in at the foundation board, I am going to be working with one of my former parishioners, uh, Bruce Jost. So as I look back, I'm like, wow, all of these things kind of just kind of link together. Isn't it fun how these coincidences work, you know? And I look back at all the things that I've been uh, privileged to be a part of, and the thing that holds me together the most, the thing that makes me the most excited is when we find a church that's acting as the church, where people have that sense of belonging, they have that sense that they're open to new people coming into the community, that they have their eyes open for what God might have them to do. And I'll tell you, those first years that we were in Ulysses, had we not attended that Mennonite Brethren Church, I don't know if my wife would have allowed us to stay much longer in Ulysses. I don't know. She's a very patient woman, though. So um, I think we have some slides, and we're going to be looking at Psalms 139 today. And, you know, David wrote so many psalms, and in some of those psalms, we have an explanation of why he wrote that psalm. And in Psalm 139, we don't have anything. It's just left up to us to imagine. And I wonder when he wrote this psalm. I wonder if he was like me, kind of looking back on his life and seeing how God had had worked in his life all of those years. Perhaps it was at a particular time. Remember all of, how many, what can you remember about David? You know, for me, I tried to write some things down and you tell me if I missed anything. Uh, You know, he was known, of course, as a shepherd. He was one of the younger kids. He was uh, a shepherd who killed bears and lions, right? I just think that's pretty incredible. He was anointed to be king by Samuel while Saul was still seated as king. That's kind of a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. He killed Goliath. We know that, right? Uh, We know that he tried on Saul's armor and that didn't fit. We got lots of sermons on that. Yeah. We also know that he was a musician, right? Yeah. And that uh, he must have been pretty good at it, uh, except every once in a while Saul would grow tired of it and throw javelins at him just because. Uh, He was also known as a very fierce warrior, and he was also a leader of a bunch of misfits. We know that he was 30 years old when he became king of Judah. We know that uh, at 38, he was made king of Israel and later became also the king of, I'm sorry, he became king of Judah when he was 30, and at 38, he became king of Israel as well. Uh, We know that he wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had blood on his hands. We also know that he gathered a lot of the material for that so that his son Solomon would have success. We also know that he was a dancer. How about that? Yeah? Do we do much dancing here? Well, we did, we did just yesterday at convention. Uh, we had a bunch of our uh, Congolese brothers who were there. You know, we, we have now uh, 10 Congolese churches in the United States. And, and you know how they got here? It's, it's just a wonderful story. Uh, there's a, a, a gentleman uh, from uh, Mountain Lake that ha- had it laid on his heart that he should go to the Congo. And he went over 100 years ago. And there he started the work in the Congo. And the Congo now is the second largest conference of Mennonite Brethren Churches in the world. Second only to India. How about that? Yeah? And so now those folks who have been uh, raised in the Mennonite Brethren Church in the Congo have now been forced out because of war and all the things that are taking place. And they've immigrated here to the United States. 
And you know what? They're planting Mennonite brother in churches. And we got connected with him through Claude Tomba Tomba, uh, who is in Sioux Falls, who connected me, or, or I got connected to him through Huningnau uh, Bakeli, who is one of our Ethiopian pastors, who said, Rick, you've got to have coffee with this guy. And I thought, you know, I can spare 30 minutes, but when they drink coffee, it's a ceremony, and it takes a while. And we got to know Claude very well, and through Claude, we got to know a number of other people, and Claude tells me, he says, you know, I've got four churches that I'm planting while I'm planting this one here in Sioux Falls. I have, I have two in Uganda, and I have two in Kenya. Can you help me? Well, I don't do that. My district's not that big. So I said, well, let's talk to Multiply and see what they can do. They put me in touch with a man by the name of Nazuzi. Nazuzi was at that time the chairman of the Congolese Conference. And as we were talking, he says, have you met Henry? I don't know Henry, and it was, you know, it was spelled funny. Uh, Henry Nagalo? And I said, I don't. Well, he was in Ohio. I just happened to be going to a convention where we were meeting with other Anabaptist leaders, uh, like Ivana and as well as the uh, Pacific, uh, not the Pacific, the Pennsylvania uh, Mennonite uh, Conference USA folks. We, we, it was just a chance meeting that we were there, and I was going to go right through. And we sat at a restaurant called Cheddar's, and we had a cup of coffee and a Danish, according to him. I don't remember the Danish, but I do remember trying to explain to him what Mennonite brethren were. And he says, stop, Brother Rick. He says, I grew up with Nazuzi in his home. I was his youth pastor. I helped him plant four churches, and I've been here in the United States for 15 years, and he was actually the marketing director for Staples in Ohio. And at that time, he was in the process of building a new building for them in the area, and he was in charge of it. And I was trying to explain to this young man that about what Mennonite Brethren was. And he says, by the way, I'm connected to over 30 churches that go all the way up into the state of Maine. And I thought, wow, what are we supposed to do with that? And so we gathered all of our leaders, and we got together, and we said, what would we do? We have a convention. We talked about it. And through that, we actually blew up the North Carolina district. The North Carolina district had four churches. Now it has 14. Ten of them, no, not, that's not true. Seven of them are Congolese. So now we have Mennonite brethren churches in Maine, in Tennessee, in Kentucky, in Ohio, and in Georgia, I think. Yeah. And they're part of the Eastern Conference. At one point, they were going to join us here in the Central District, and that would have really made my, my district big. I already had T-shirts ordered. Our district was going to go from Maine to, to Montana. That's a good slogan, right? Yeah? I don't think so. Yeah. I put on enough miles, so, you know, I have to turn in my miles every, every so often. And I was looking back after 10 years, I have traveled the equivalent of 16 times around the world. 16 times. I've been told that it's about 25,000 miles around the earth, so you can figure that out. But here's what I want you to know. I never had a speeding ticket. Not one. Yeah, not one. Even though my wife will testify that I deserved them. So when I look back and I see all of these things in my life, I think, what kind of a psalm would I write? Well, I want to show you the psalm 
that David wrote, because by far that's more interesting and more telling, I think, to us. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you join me? There's four things that I think that stand out for me and I want to focus on. First of all is, is God's personal knowledge of David. David is so surprised that out of all of the entire world that God actually knows him and he has knowledge, personal knowledge of David. There are also expressions of God's knowledge, his omniscience, as well as God's presence being everywhere, omnipresent. And there is at an end a place where David says, if all of this is true, then how can my life count? And so if you have your Bibles, let's, let's follow along here. It says, O Lord, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. When I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Do you know that God reads your thoughts? Is that okay? You know, as a kid, you know, my parents sometimes would scold me because they could read my mind, they said. You know, get that thought out of your head, right? Straighten up. I know what you're thinking. My mom says that she could already tell that my, from my honoriness that when I walked across the room what I was going to do. It might have been the slingshot in my back pocket. I'm not sure. But she was always quick to make sure that I didn't go that way. The idea that God can actually know our thoughts is sometimes scary to me because my mind sometimes drifts. Does yours? Like right now? Let's pay attention to the scriptures. Okay. Yeah. He says, you search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high and I can't attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and Sheol, you are there as well. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. This, the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You know, this sounds like a man who is trying to hide. He's on the run, doesn't he? So perhaps maybe this was during the time that Saul was looking for him. Or perhaps it was time of the rebellion when Absalom tried to take over his throne. All of these things, he says, you know, no matter where I was, every time I was out there, I couldn't get away from you. And in the gods of that particular day, many of them were perceived to have certain boundaries. They were the god of this region. But he says, you know, it doesn't matter wherever I go. My god is so big that wherever I go, he is there. I often think about that. You know, there are times that we find ourselves out of our element. We're uncomfortable. And I think about that not only geographically, but I also think about that in terms of the world around us. Sometimes we get a diagnosis that we don't like. Sometimes there are events that take place in our world that we don't like. How many would go for another round of COVID lockdown, right? Yeah, no takers. Yeah. Do you think it changed our world? Well, of course it did. You know, we still have wars. We still have political unrest. We still have a lot of turmoil that's in our country. And we would at times like to be able to run away from those things or, or have those things solved. And we find ourselves uncomfortable with wherever we are. And David says, it doesn't matter where I am or what circumstances are happening. Wherever I go, my God is there as well. 
He says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, and you saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, we are told that we are called to run our race. And David here speaks about the fact that our days have been ordained and ordered, that our days have been numbered. We're not here by accident. I was placed where I was in Ulysses, Kansas, at that particular time. And I believe that God does, in fact, orchestrate things in order for his will to be done. Are you okay with that? Do you believe that God places these things so that his kingdom, his will, can be done? I do. I don't know how much that means. I don't know if I, if I throw the whole bubble off, if I, if I buy a red car instead of a white car. I'm not sure exactly how that would figure in. But I know that the things that impact history, the things that impact my heart, that impact his bride, the church, I know that God is working in those circumstances. And how about you then? I want you to understand that you are here by God's choice and God's decision. And he has placed you in a place of influence. And I also believe that God has empowered you. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Jesus promised us that if he would go away, that he would send the spirit which would dwell within us. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, the spirit dwells within us, gives us spiritual gifts, and it shows us the spiritual fruit. It shapes us. It reminds us of the scriptures. It teaches us of what Jesus taught us. He says, no matter where I go, I cannot hide from your spirit. This is the same promise, I believe, that we also have, that we understand that the Spirit is already at work, even in this generation. Now, I guess it would be 20 days ago, we were blessed with our third grandchild. We didn't know if we were going to get any more. Our daughter is 42 years old, and she had had some history there of some difficult uh, uh, pregnancies that didn't come to fruition, and we weren't sure when she called us and she said that she was pregnant. But I want you to know that, uh, you know, 20 days ago, she gave to us one of the most perfect grandchildren that have ever been created. Yeah? I know you've got pictures in your wallet, but just keep them there because mine will outshine yours for sure, right? That's how we all feel. Yeah? And I began to pray as a pastor and as a, as a, a man who loves the Lord, and I grew fearful for my grandchildren. Does anybody else grow fearful for your kids or your grandkids? Yeah. What kind of a world are they going to be left with? What kind of challenges will they be left with? And then I feel God telling me, and as, he tells, as David tells us as well, that their days have also been ordained, that the spirit that dwells within us, the same spirit that hovered over the waters in creation, that same spirit that ignited the, the messages of the prophets in the Old Testament, the same spirit that worked in and through the writing of the scripture, we know that same spirit is going to be in our grandchildren. That should give us comfort, right? That they were destined for that time, just as we were. And David recognizes this. He says, you know, my days were ordained by 
you, he says. Then he goes on and he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they were more than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This idea that God is there whenever we wake up. This I, and I think about that. I think, well, is that just physical sleep? Because I wake up a lot in the night anymore, right? And every time I do, God is with me, right? But I think it's also those times when we walk away, when we forget God's providence, when we forget his word. All of those times, whenever we wake up, I believe God is there with us. That he's never left us. That he is always the God who seeks And he goes on, and this doesn't seem to be in character of this psalm, but he goes, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred, and I count them my enemies. You know, I thought, boy, that's pretty strong language, and we don't want to teach our kids this language, right? Yeah? I hate them like you. We couldn't say that to our kids. You don't teach them to hate. They're supposed to love. But we do recognize that there is an enemy that's prowling against the church. It's prowling against our society. It's prowling against our own heart. We must recognize that there is someone out there who wants to destroy us. We know that there are enemies of God. And it calls for us to take that stand. The idea that God will be with us no matter where we are. And he concludes by saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He began by saying, You have searched me and you know me. He concludes this psalm by saying, You know, Continue to do that. Search me every day. Do it again and again and again and lead me in the way everlasting. This idea that wherever I go, I want to make sure that I'm in step with God. We are told to do the very same thing, to stay in step with the Spirit that guides us, that nurtures us. That voice within us that reminds us of the Scripture, that reminds us of our responsibilities. And, you know, we don't do this by ourselves. David didn't conquer all of the lands that he conquered by himself. He did it with the the help of those who were called to stand alongside of him. And when I talk about the churches and I think about the work that I have done, I recognize that I had very little to do with David Jansen becoming the president of Tabor College. And I really had very little to do with Bruce and Travis Joes. Travis is uh, now a missionary in Burundi. I had very little to do with that. But I had something to do with it. But the church itself, you, the people within the church, the ones that have been gifted to nurture those within the church, to teach them, to equip them, helped mold and to shape them, and to pass on the story, to pass on the scripture to them. It's not done in isolation. So much of what we hear today is individualism. How is your walk going with the Lord? Well, that's, that's a good question. Another question would be, how are you working together within your church? How is it that God is working amongst the body of Christ? 
we recognize that God calls us to be in fellowship one with another, that the spiritual gifts have been given for the body of Christ, to be known, to have a place. How many of you recognize that picture up there, by the way? Have you been looking at it? Is that song starting to come out in your head? Yeah? Yeah? Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. That was the theme song for a great model of what it means to be the church. Yeah? Isn't it? Where everybody knows your name. They know all of the troubles that are going on in your life. There's a place where you can take a break from the world. There's a place where you can be refreshed. Now, I, I know it's a bar, so analogies break down, okay? They do. But I've often thought, this is what God intends for us. When we hear about the things that are going on in the world, we don't stand alone. Even though the Spirit is within us, we could take down the world by ourselves. But we don't. We have the Psalms of David because of others who helped him. Others who stood with him. Others who followed him. There's another passage that I want us to look at as well. It's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And you know this one pretty well, I'm pretty sure. We know this is the Great Commission. Jesus has been resurrected. He's now with his apostles, well, 11 of them. One dropped out, kind of, right? And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sometimes we skip over that statement. But basically, Jesus is saying, I'm God. And I'm in control. I took authority. Uh, I am going back to the Father. I will be seated at his right hand. Together we understand that God understands the beginning of time and the end of time. We know that God knows all things about us. He knows everything, all times. This idea that all authority on heaven and on earth was just a reinforcement statement to the apostles. I've got this. The one that you are following, in fact, is God. This is something that we hold on to, isn't it? The idea that God is God. Do you remember what Moses asked? He says, who shall I say is sending me? Yeah? Tell him I am. The God who is complete, all-powerful, all-knowing, can do anything that you can think of and more. The God that understands the times that we are living in and has gifted and has placed individuals for such a time as this, to quote Mordecai and Esther. And he says, all authority. I've got this. And then he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He didn't say until you die, and many of them would. But he said, well, they did all die. Some of them were martyred, that's what I meant. The idea that God is going to be with us to the end of the age. There will come a day that the trumpet will sound. We get that. We know that. We believe that. He says, I will be with you, the church. And they had no idea what they were getting into, did they? 
you know, a lot of times we look at this passage and we, we think of the word go and we think it's sort of like somebody starting a race. You know, on your mark, get set, go. But it's actually a word, uh, on the next slide, I've got some words up there if you want to look it up in the Greek. It, it, it's actually, uh, it's an aorist tense, which means that it's something that has happened in the past that impacts the present. It's either a completed event that has impact or it's an event that got started in the past and is continuing. This idea of going is more like a journey. It should actually be uh, translated, having gone. Having gone, I want you to go make disciples. Having become my disciples, I want you from this point forward to go forward with that gospel. Later, he would tell them, you start in Jerusalem, you go to Judea and Samaria, and then you go to the ends of the earth. As you are on this journey, as you go through your life, this is the meaning of that word go. The imperative in their Great Commission is make disciples. As you are going, keep doing that. Making disciples. How many of us understand the call that's on our life to, to model what it means to be a disciple of Christ and to help others to walk with them? If you see a brother who has been snared, it tells us in Galatians, restore them gently. Walk alongside of them. Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. Forgive one another. It's the uh, one another's. We do this together. And we recognize that we're never done. When are you completed? When do you get the discipleship diploma? Right? Well, I'm pretty sure it's not in this life. Yeah? So let me ask, how many of us you know, I'll just put it this way. I was honored at the convention. They recognize that I've been in ministry over 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, it was sort of like, you know, good job and you should get a diploma or something like that. And I just thought, you know, there's still areas in my walk that aren't right. There are still areas in my life that I struggled with when I was in high school that still are there. Am I alone? There are certain things in my walk that I would recognize need some attention. But I've learned to live with them. That's what's happened. But God isn't done with us. Sometimes we have, uh, you, know, you know, look at me. I've got a degree. I've been doing this for 40 years. But when I sit down with somebody and I can be open and transparent, I can say, you know, I'm really struggling today. This has been a rough week. You know, who do we model that with? Are we willing to continue being changed? become imitators of God. That's the challenge for us, even as we get older. This idea of calling, this idea of as you are going, as you are turning 60, as you are turning 70, after you have this health diagnosis, after this has happened in your life, as you are going, make disciples. That's what he calls us to do. Quickly, I want to tell you about a group of people that did just that. Since I'm going to be in Hillsboro, uh, John Wiebe says we have to take the tour. He calls it the Mission Drift Tour. And he takes us out into the middle of this field, if we can see that next slide. And about two miles outside of Hillsboro, there is this monument that has been placed out there. And it's the, uh, I'm going to butcher it, I know. It's called the Gnudenau, now can say it for me, somebody knows better. Gnaden, see? Yeah? I just got discipled. Yeah? 
Thank you. Gnaden, I learned something. There was a Gnaden village that was begun there in, in 1874. And it was started by a man by the name of Jacob A. Wiebe. And he started a Kremer Mennonite brother in church in that area. Now, just down the road was also a Mennonite brother in church. But Jacob Wiebe brought his entire congregation with him from Croatia in the Ukraine area to the United States. Now, why would he do that? Well, I'm going to give you a short history lesson. In July 22 of 1763, we know that our German forefathers were, were being persecuted and they were not allowed to have land. They were struggling with survival. And Catherine the Great said, you know what? Why don't you come to Russia? I'll give you some land. It's not great land, but if you can drain it, you can farm it, right? And that's what took place in 1763. And she granted them these things. She said, I will give you freedom of worship. I will let you establish your own settlements and communities. You can continue to teach your children in German. And you can have your local autonomy. And you will be exempt from military service. That's a pretty good deal. That was the, nego the negotiation. I will give you land if you can transform it. And I will give you these things. And that arrangement lasted until 1870 when this czar by the name of Alexander II said, yet, that's, that's no in Russian, I'm, I'm told, yeah? He said, you have two choices. Either you're going to conform or you're going to have to immigrate. You're going to have to become Russian. You're going to have to serve in the militia. You're going to have to do things the way we do things. And you can't have this autonomy that you've been enjoying all this time. And if you don't like it, leave. That's it. So in 1870, they began looking around. Where can we go? They found themselves coming to the United States where they got a, an opportunity to come before Ulysses S. Grant, the 18th president of the United States and the founder of Ulysses, right? Well, I think it was probably named after him. We come from Grant County. You know, it seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? Yeah. And so they went and they said, can we have that deal that we had back in Russia? And President Grant said, well, it sounds good for you, but I'm not sure we can do that at the national level. You'll have to ask permission of the, of the state levels. And Kansas was one of those groups. And so there is this gentleman, Jacob A. Wiebe, and his wife, Anna, Ann, Annie, I'm not sure, and something. And there they were. The quality of picture doesn't seem quite the same, though, does it? Right? Yeah. But he was the pastor that brought all of these people. And in 1874... They landed in Peabody, and they got wagons, they gathered supplies, and they started rolling out to their place 14 miles from there. Yeah? And here's what's on the back. Or it's not on the back of this monument, but here's what was written about that time. And it says, this is Jacob Wiebe writing. He said, so we rode in the deep prairie grass, with no sign of trail or road, barren land lay in every direction as far as the eye could see, and not a sound could be heard except the chirp of crickets and grasshoppers and the mournful whistling of the wind through the prairie. So we rode in the deep grass to the little stake that marked the spot. I stopped. My wife asked me, why do you stop? And I said, we're here. We are to live here. Then she began to weep. 
thought of my wife. <laughs> I thought a lot of us, we look around and we say, but we don't like the world the way it is. And we think about what we left behind. That, that other picture up there, that mountainous picture, that's from the area that they left, as so I'm told. Mountains. Beautiful valleys, trees. Somebody told me once, if you see a tree in Kansas, it didn't get there by itself. You know, somebody had to plant it. You know, kind of like if you find a turtle on top of a, pen, a fence post, you know, it didn't get there by itself, right? But all of a sudden, she looked around, and the ground had not been broken. It wasn't ready to farm. There weren't any structures. All they had was what they were able to get in Peabody. And there they were in 1874. But you know, in 1879, there was a convention that was held right here in Henderson, Nebraska. Did you know that? In Henderson, Nebraska was the very first meeting of the general, what became the General Conference of Mennonite Brethren. And from that conference they began to take an offering for missions. Five years after they were there, they had a heart and a concern for the world around them. And five years later, they collected offerings and began gathering funds to send missionaries throughout the world, to India, to the Congo, you know, even to a strange place called Canada, you know, from this area from other places like that. They thought beyond who they were. To be a follower of Christ means, yes, we understand our relationship with God, that He knows us. And we're comforted by our personal salvation. But we also recognize that He calls us to keep His commandments, to do what He would do. And Jesus went to where the people were. Jesus says, I come not for those who are healthy, but for those who are sick and wounded. Jesus went to those who didn't hear, hadn't heard before. He corrected those who thought they knew what they were talking about. He began with the 12 disciples and poured into them so that they might pour into each generation that follows. This is what it means for us to be the church to be known by God, but to go with God, to go as we are going, as God gives us wisdom and strength. I also want you to know that there may be times that there's pain in the going. God knows. God knows. I think I've shared here before about some of our journey in the last four years. But I want to tell you one other thing. There was a moment in 2019, December, we were coming back from doing a funeral for a sweet lady up in Harvey, North Dakota. The roads were dry, but there was snow in the ditches. It was getting along about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the evening, and the temperature was dropping, and I was driving a Jeep Liberty that was in rear-wheel drive. We came to an underpass. The snow had blown across the, the road, and there was black ice there, patchy black ice. The sun was shining. The sky was blue. But before we knew it, we had lost control. We, 
because Esther was in the car, I guess, but I had the controls. I was driving. And even though I haven't had a speeding ticket, you know, I violated some laws of physics at that moment. And we went spinning. Lost control. The speed limit's 80. I'm sure I was doing 78, right? The roads were dry. And as I saw the black ice coming, I could see the sheen. I tried to slow down. I didn't have my brakes on when we hit it. I, would, I know how to do it. But it was patchy. And so you'd correct, and then all of a sudden it would go back again. And at that speed, we rolled sideways three times. Three times. The sunroof that was above us popped out. And just like an ice cream scoop, every time we rolled in the ditch where the snow was, it just scooped up some snow and put it inside the cab. Yeah, three times. About the first time we rolled, I remember being so tight with the steering wheel, I was holding it like I could do anything at that point, you know? It's like trying to steer a roller coaster. You don't have any control, right? There's no brakes on this that you can access on a roller coaster. And that's what it felt like as we twisted in the ditch at 70-some miles an hour. And I remember hearing a voice. It sounded audible to me, and other people will challenge that. That's okay. I'm not saying it was God, but I think it was from God. And I kept thinking, great, I'm finally going to hear the voice of God. I'm finally going to hear directly from God. How many of you would love to have where you could actually hear God tell you something. And I was thinking maybe he was going to tell me to part the Red Sea or whatever it might be. But at that moment, I heard one word, and that was relax. The sense of, I've got this. And I remember that at that point, I did relax. And it was just like you're there for the ride, and you just waited for it to stop. And when it stopped, our radio was still going. The lights were still on. The motor had been cut out, I'm sure. And we sat there and looked at each other and kind of looked down, and we were waist-deep in snow. We took off our seatbelts, and we walked away. And I thought to myself, God's got this. God has all of these things. But Satan wants to remind me every once in a while that I'm the one responsible for my wife having uh, concussion migraines, even to this day. Reminding me that sometimes we don't get out of circumstances altogether without pain. Recognizing, though, that God protects and God leads and God has our days numbered. God knows what you're going through. And I'm preaching out of this Bible today because if you can see it, I don't know if you can see all of the wrinkles. This was the Bible that was tossed out of that Jeep. And it's my favorite one to preach from. Because when I roll my fingers down, I feel the wrinkles. And I remember the words that I heard, the word that I heard. When it comes to our fear of what's happening in our world today, what's happening in your personal life, in your grandchildren's lives, remember that you're known by God. And remember that he's got everything in control. And remember that as you are going, our call is to make disciples. Not to set at home isolated, not to wait for things to improve, but to go forward, to make disciples, knowing that he's got it. He's there with you. I will never leave you nor abandon you.
Do you believe the Bible? No? Has what I said contradicted anything you've read? Has God promised that he would be with you? Has he promised that the Holy Spirit would dwell within you? I believe that we can be as sure of that as our salvation. I believe that you have heard testimonies before, and you could give testimonies as well when you look back in your life and you know what God has done. God is still at work, even here, and even in Hillsborough, Kansas, where I'm going. I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow, but I'm going to be there at 7.58 because I want to impress the boss. So I've got to show up, and so do we. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, today I want to thank you for the people in the past who showed up. I want to thank you, Father, for the generation which, which we understand that we stand on their shoulders. And Father, for those of us who think it's time for somebody else to take over, help us to remember that there's still work for us to do. And if there's not work for us to do, there's work on us that needs to continue. We need to mentor those who come after us, Father. We need to remind them of keeping the main thing the main thing, to make disciples, to teach that Jesus Christ is God, that his holy word is holy, that he died on the cross for sinful people, that he was resurrected, that he is coming back, that he has promised, that he is going to prepare a place for us, that he has promised that he is able to keep his promises. Thank you, Father, for the stories we've heard. Thank you for those that have gone before us. And thank you, Father, for allowing us at times to use that rearview mirror to look at that in the past to see how you have provided so that we might have confidence for today and for tomorrow. And Lord God, we pray that you'd bless the next generation and the one that would follow should you tarry, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.